even as that swing manager, I was still cleaning as I go. Like there was no job that was below who uh, my status was. I was working as hard as a person on their first day. And as much as clean as you go is just this thing, uh, it was it was understood that it didn't really matter where you were in in the organization. This is what you did. This is what you did to help the rest of the team. It wasn't just, you know, you're doing it, you know, just so that you can pat yourself on the back. It's I'm helping to clean because my friends and my other coworkers are going to uh, do better in a clean environment. And yeah, I, I, it's, it's another thing that I can, you know, take in my leadership uh, uh, position right now is that um, I'm not above anything. Hi, friends. Ever wondered how you could turn your big ideas into results? I'm Maria Rio, your go-to guide for helping small nonprofits have real-world impacts. Together, let's reimagine a better sector, tackle systemic issues, and yes, raise some serious cash. Welcome back to The Small Nonprofit, the podcast where your passion meets action. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Small Nonprofit Podcast. I am your host, Maria Rio. And before we begin today, and just to let you know, I post weekly episodes on all things nonprofit. So if that does sound like your kind of thing, subscribe to the podcast, look at our lovely faces on our YouTube channel. But for now, grab yourself a coffee, pull up a seat, and listen to this amazing conversation with my guest today, Lanrick Bennett, who is the executive director of Charlie's Free Wheels. Lanrick, thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, good morning. Thank you so much for uh, for giving space, uh, space and time and platform to to have a, a really, I, I'm hoping, uh, uh, wonderful conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm super excited to have you here because I know a little bit about all the amazing things that you've been working on. But for people who don't know you just yet, can you please introduce yourself to our audience? Oh, wow. Well, uh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Lanrick Bennett. Um, as already mentioned, I am the new executive director for Charlie's Freewheels. This is a non-for-profit based in Moss Park. We work with 12 to 25-year-olds uh, incorporating bicycles as a uh, sphere of um, leadership and understanding and freedom. Uh, we have a signature program called Build a Bike, where we have bicycles that are donated to us in all different types of conditions. And over an eight-week period, uh, we work with our uh, cohorts uh, uh, to build, to rebuild uh, a bike of their own. Uh, and uh, they get to ride home uh, with this bike with new wheels and new brakes. And it's 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 a whole new bike, but it's, it's totally unique to that person. And, uh, this program has been uh, running for over 10 years, uh, again, based in Moss Park, but, um, our catchment, uh, hits to Regent Park, St. James Town, uh, down to Cork Town. It's, uh, it's a, it's a wonderful, um, hub 
uh, for the neighborhood, a neighborhood that is definitely seeing a lot of change, a lot of gentrification. Uh, but we are a uh, we are a flag in the middle of the neighborhood to to give some uh, really uh, wonderful space to young people, um, and it's a safe space. And I'm really excited to be part of uh, of this uh, organization. On top of that, uh, I volunteer in many different aspects. I'm the uh, first uh, Toronto-based uh, bicycle mayor, uh, and this is a program uh, orchestrated through um, a organization called Bikes, B-Y-C-S. They're based in the Netherlands, 150 bicycle mirrors across the world. Uh, and I was appointed two years ago as uh, Toronto's first bicycle mayor. Uh, my volunteer job is to amplify the voices of advocates throughout the city of Toronto uh, and, you know, take it upon myself to uh, insert some fun and exciting uh, programming uh, into uh the cycling community here in Toronto. One of my signature programs that I've been lucky enough to team up with my friend Robin on is uh, a program called Kidical Mass, where we have young kids bringing their parents and guardians with them on rides across the city. Uh, for the 2023 uh, edition, we were able to team up with Evergreen Brickworks and or Evergreen Canada, sorry, and we explored the ravines. Uh, so we had uh, uh, 20 or so um, riders with us, four different uh, ravine uh, drop-ins where we rode at least five to six kilometers uh, from different neighborhoods across the city into the Humber, Black Creek, and uh, Don Valley River system. Uh, a lot of fun there. My last little piece, uh, always just centered on bikes. Uh, I volunteer with uh, the Bike Brigade, uh, which is, I believe, hitting their third year, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, the Bike Brigade, uh, based in the west end of the city, um, uh, is a collaborative uh, piece uh, with all, over 900 riders where uh, we get together and we deliver food uh, to those that are in need. And this came about during the uh, pandemic and uh, even outside of those two and a half years of the pandemic, uh, food insecurity is a massive uh issue in this city and we're still riding and still uh, uh, bringing on new volunteers. It's a great way of being able to see the city, help those that are in need and getting on your bike 365 days a year. Uh, so that's me. I live in the east end of the city with uh, with my family and uh, I love I love being able to explore uh, Toronto by bike. That's my signature way of getting around. That was a really long introduction, but that's no, I love it. And thanks for jumping into kind of the programming that your organization does, because I don't know, like for me as a kid, that would have been so empowering to have the own like autonomy and uh, choice to put my bike together. It's also a learning experience and building community. So that all sounds so lovely and so empowering. It's quite, uh, I have to say, I was a fan before, of course, uh, uh, ending up as the executive director, but to actually be in the space and watching these individuals um, work together. So, of course, they get 
they got their own frame of a bike and they work with our mechanic to to understand um how bikes work how they interact with uh, a person's legs and their hands and and they really get a understanding of what this uh tool is going to be for them after eight weeks but you're also seeing individuals being able to uh, uh, help one another. Um, one of the uh, wonderful things about this program is we also offer a full meal uh, with uh, with the participants. So you know you're you're working through on your bike for a couple of hours, and uh, you know everyone's hungry, and we bring them into the kitchen, and we make a dinner for them there, and they get to talk about their day and talk about their bike and just talk and and really just have a place uh to hang and and to see it from the outside uh it's 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 an amazing opportunity where you don't have to do a lot but a lot is given through the time and space that is uh uh put forth for uh the individuals that take uh, part in the build a bike program so I, I know that's a bit biased of me to to kind of put forth you know that kind of sell but but it is pretty pretty amazing that um a a small uh activation can can pay dividends uh going uh outside of of the realm of your flash and pop it's uh it's building a bike <laughs> right i mean it's it, it's simple to say but but it's transformative it really is i love it and then uh can you tell us if you got a nonprofit on purpose how was your journey here um what you've been working wow. on before this the the yeah the the og story of such so i mean to be honest, um, cycling, bicycling was not a big piece for me. I went to school for radio and television broadcasting. Uh, that didn't pan out, and and I ended up uh, working in different educational aspects. Uh, I spent years at the Second City. If you don't know the Second City, just look up SCTV. Um, a, a wonderful organization that... Uh, push the boundaries of comedy. One of their bases of understanding, though, was this little thing called yes and. Um, human beings are basically wired to say no. Yes, but basically no as well. Uh, yes anding. Uh, this is improvs, you know, just, just stake in the ground. You need to be able to say yes and. Yes and allows the story to continue. You're up on stage. Things are happening. Items are being tossed at you. Ideas are coming at you. Saying no basically kills the story. But allowing allowing yourself to have the courage to say yes and just makes everything possible and everything happen. And it's one of the things that I have definitely taken uh, from my time at the Second City uh, going uh, forward in, in the uh, many careers that I've had. But... Um, be, before getting into cycling, I was uh, I was working at Queens Park um, there for four years as a regional advisor to the premier's office. Not this premier, but the previous one. Uh, and I ran for city council. Didn't win, but it was a it was a wonderful opportunity to just kind of figure out how I could be of service to my community. 
Um, my daughter at the time, uh, while I was running, uh, uh, made it very official to my wife and I that uh, she was going to ride her bike to school. Uh, she told us this on a Friday afternoon, and uh, by Monday, I had purchased a bike. <laughs> uh, and the Sunday, uh, just, just leading into the Monday, I had done some riding around with her just to make sure that we were feeling comfortable. Uh, and we had a glorious uh, two and a half, almost three months of riding to her school. It was a 12-minute ride. Um, the infrastructure in Toronto... Uh, even, even now is, you know, piecemeal at peace uh, at times, but, uh, eight years ago, it was, it was pretty hectic on my street. Uh, we still have painted lines there, but that's what my nine-year-old at the time was riding on. And here she was in the, in the painted bike lane. Here I was in traffic, just kind of being this protective covering. Um, and as I say, we, we had three months of wonderful riding right up until, um, a, another father, uh, was killed on our route. Um, Douglas Crosby was killed at Jones and Dundas, which was the opposite direction of our ride to our school. My daughter lasted about two months after that riding here and there. Uh, but after writing to the mayor, to our counselor, to, uh, our trustee, our MP, or MPP, the responses, and she only got two or three responses, were very canned, uh, very copy and paste. And my nine-year-old basically gave up on writing and she went on bike strike. How do you think your previous experience, like your personal lived experience with your family and uh, as an advocate and your professional experience in the past with politics and in government, have shaped how you approach your current role? Are there things that you've taken from the past that you see as really beneficial now? Yeah. I, and I mean, I, I touched on the fact of, of that yes and piece, but working in government, seeing how literally the sausage is made, I want to say it's depressing, but having voices in the community and your neighborhood on the ground and seeing how distilled that becomes by the time it gets in front of an elected leader uh, or an elected collective, um, it, it loses a lot of its um, impact. And, and, and that has not, we have not, our elected officials, the, the, from your municipal, federal, provincial, have not done a good enough job allowing for those voices to really be heard uh, at a top tier level. And so seeing how that process is done and working in the environment that I am in now, um, how my, how I voice the things that I'm advocating for, how I give presence to those items and aspects um, there's a lot of pivoting. There's a lot of changing. There's a lot of uh, nailing down the uh, the real specifics of what the problem is, and almost at times having to come up with the solutions yourself to then present that to your elected officials. So that and and this is not to try and give them a pass. There's so much going on in. Toronto itself. We're not even going to talk about Canada or Ontario, just Toronto itself. There's a lot going on. And to be able to make your voice heard and, and be able to stand out in the crowd, 
uh, you almost need to be able to come to the table with a complete package, understanding what the problem is, understanding what the barriers are, and coming up with a solution all in one package and giving that to uh, to the powers that be um, with the hope that uh, they uh, want to believe or entrust in you being able to accomplish uh, those feats. Yeah. I always have that issue with our sector. It feels like we're trying to solve <laughs> systemic issues through piecemeal approaches. It just doesn't make much sense because we don't often come mm-hmm. together. There's just a lot of egos in the space. There's a lot of different priorities that you know aren't all aligned to support the community. So, and let's be clear too on on that piece that you just left on. I mean, you've got a lot of these voices. We have a we have a system that definitely has not been has not been equitable. Uh, uh, if anything, it's it's there, there's been a lot of inequality when it comes to uh, the non for profit sector and trying to figure out that you're almost asking the question of hey, are, uh, is it okay if equality is there as opposed to it being equitable and you you, you you're you're battling a lot of the, again, those barriers that are put forth in society in general. But when, when you start looking at it, um, on the non-for-profit side, and I'm saying this as a, as a, as a black male, uh, in this, uh, world, um, your, how your voice is, is brought forth and who's listening to that voice are added uh, barriers and and this isn't a Crimea River uh, Landrick scenario. This is a problem that is not being talked about enough, and it's not being um, uh, assessed or or worked on so that there is uh, a better footing for all types of uh, non for profit voices to be heard, seen, uh, funded. Uh, yeah, it's it's. It's a bit of a mess. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's, it's not something that, again, it's not something that people are bringing to, uh, bringing to the table enough that, uh, on top of all the other things that we're trying to, to figure out to keep ourselves afloat, uh, you've got, you've got a, an equity issue that, that has not been solved. And in, in some cases, um, uh, those with with the levers of power don't yeah. want it to be fixed. It's it's true though. Like you see it at, you know, the level of ED talking to government, but also like internally in organizations. There's just so many power dynamics, paternalism, like all these things that get in the way of actually moving towards equitable solutions together. Instead of just like, oh, I did this. I'm such a good ally. You know, like. Like, it's like, I did that. And it's like, well, if we had partnered up together and pulled the resources, pulled the money, like we could have gone so much further. That's right. That's right. We are, um, we're in silos. We really are. And, and it's, you know, you, you're, you're happy for those that have been able to accomplish what they have, whether that be, you know, uh, um, a campaign for, for X amount of dollars or, you know, the ability to, uh, to help X amount of people 
wonderful. You know, we, we do the clapping of the hands for things like that, but there's so many that are not able to, um, attain those levels of notoriety and we're, we're really, we're, we're forgetting a lot of them. And I, I don't even want to try and, you know, put Charlie's three wheels in, in a category as such, but it, it's, it's, it's a real, it's a struggle to make sure that you are continuously relevant in a space that is dictated in, um, in, again, those siloed, uh, um, areas of such where you're you're kind of told just to stay in your little stay in your little section you know when you get to put your hand up that's that's great and all but don't tread over here um there i i I would love there to be more want to collaborate more want to share those resources more want to to go at it as as a um as a loose fitting, you know, just collective of such where we're, I think we're all in it for the right reasons at, at the most part. It's to, it's to, to help other people. It's to help other people move up or move forward or, or bring them out of, you know, the, the hole that they're in, in some way, shape and form, depending on uh, what it is that you're aspiring to do within your non-for-profit. But um, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of um, want to to do that collaborative dance or to take the time to do that that um, connective piece. We're we're missing that connective tissue. That's the word. That's we're you know we, we just we we want to see that. I'd like to see that connective tissue uh, pulled together, and and it is a bit of a uphill battle to to get into. Uh, that personally, I find it like a little bit off-putting from these one percenter organizations who not want to like pass the mic or you know share some resources, and they're happy kind of being the only voices at the table. It seems so. For example, when we have big recovery programs, or you know, we had this huge scandal a few years ago with a big organization uh, run by the Kilberger brothers where they were a one percenter organization at the table getting so many mm. benefits uh not not accessible to all these other organizations who could do a lot with it and are also closest to the issue it's not you know countries removed or uh anything like that it's just led by the people who are most affected right. so i right. just find it so off-putting to have organizations like no, don't even mention a similar organization that does similar work because then they'll eat up our dollars. You know, it just, ugh. The photo op is, is king in many of those, uh, scenarios as such. And, and it's, it really, you, you, you almost feel like, uh, that picture is being edited to make sure that that 1% is shining while there's nothing else, uh, behind them. Yeah. It, it's, it's tragic because, our society, um, and and I mean, I'm I'll, I'll talk about Toronto specifically. We owe so much to the non for profits of of our our city right now. A lot of the, a lot of what is happening, a lot of the um, of the catchments of protecting people 
are are done by the not-for-profits. They may not be making money uh, per se, uh, but they're the ones out um, in our neighborhoods, out in our communities, making sure that they're touching the people that really need uh, the help and work. And and it's not like we're asking for you know pats on the back. It's it's the recognition needs to be an understanding that if if our society is putting so much of the onus on these not-for-profits to be there uh, for the betterment of people that there should be a wanted uh, um, uh, ability to bring as many of these not-for-profits, not just as a, hey, we're just going to give you enough to keep yourselves afloat, but it's, it's an investment in community, in neighborhoods, through our non-for-profits and and that's where you have uh um, a lot of just disconnected uh understanding of of how we fit why we should be uh more of that uh collective tissue and and how we can see a a a vision going forward to make sure that um that not only being relevant, but being uh, um, secure in the fact that we can still deliver the services uh, that communities want. I don't, and I'm saying this now specifically for Charlie's. I don't want to be "quote unquote" out of business. I don't. I don't want us not to be a part of our neighborhood. I think that we can bring. Um, it's not even bringing value. It's bringing opportunity and bringing space and bringing. Uh, uh, excitement to our little corner of, of the city, but it's, it's being able to see what's going on out in Parkdale or see what's going on in Thorncliffe and being able to collaborate with, with individuals and groups out there to, to collectively, you know, be able to, to say, here are things that are working. Maybe you want to try them. I'd love to see, you know, what you're doing out there. Could that maybe be relevant down here? Like there's, there, there's so much, there's so much opportunity and so many people with such amazing ideas. Uh, but you know, my, my top two jobs as my ED is finance and fundraising, like to try and, to try and give yourself any more time <laughs> to do a lot of that collaborative work is, you know, is, what I'm yeah, thinking of though, like what I'm reflecting stretches. on now it is. Stretches. Like out of all the nonprofits that I've worked with over the past 10 years and all the ones that I've witnessed and heard about from other, you know, fundraisers or other people in the sector, usually the most toxic cultures are the siloed ones, right? They're the most top heavy, siloed, individualistic. uh, And those are the places where people Mm. can't wait to run out the door. And it's just really interesting how we're replicating that sector wide. The things that we like the least about our cultures yeah, trying to break that cycle, trying to, trying to, um, trying to just show that there's a better way. Um, I know there's, there's definitely fear in, in that type of change. And, and I'm not there yet to be able to, you know, beat on the chest to say, Hey, I've got, I've got a solution to this, but, um, it, it does feel that. Uh, the sector is just beaten down uh, continuously. And because of those silos of top tier 
um, groups or individuals that really do not want to collaborate or partner or, or spread the wealth. Um, it's, it's becoming harder. It's becoming more difficult. And, and the, the ones that are hurt the most are the individuals and families that, that were out there trying to help. And, and what an unfortunate situation, uh, for those, uh, people that, um, that the non-for-profits that they lean on, uh, may not be able to do or maximize the work that, that, uh, benefits, uh, the communities and, and neighborhoods and such. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's hard to wrap your head around because usually the leaders are either, you know, too busy or not interested or just don't even understand why it's important. So how I've tackled it in the past has been to just kind of go for it without asking for permission. So, yeah. So like, for example, um, the last team that I ran at a food justice organization, (laughs) we just reached out to another food justice organization and we said, Hey, we're both working on community centric fundraising. We both don't know exactly what this looks like, mm-hmm. but can we collaborate and share knowledge about like each principle and how we're applying them successfully or not successfully? So it was such a great opportunity. We actually met monthly to have these discussions on each principle. Right. And it helped us really talk about the differences in our organizations, like what they were doing really well, what we were doing really well, things that we could learn from each other and just kind of move quicker to implement these equitable practices than we would have been able to do if we had both worked alone. That's right. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, it, it, it's, it is a, it is a, you know, jump in with both feet, uh, in, into the fray and, and grab hold of, uh, uh, a partner or two and yeah, just to see what, what can happen when, when you have that first conversation, I think is, uh, is a great, uh, is a great piece. And, and should be done more, and that's including myself, uh, to, to just go out there and, and, and see, uh, find those opportunities. Um, again, because I'm in the cycling community, I've, I've been able to, um, today's going to be a really good example where I'm, uh, I'm going to be volunteering with the bike brigade. It's in the same neighborhood. So my ride is actually starting at, uh, my office to be able to, uh, deliver food to the neighborhood that, uh, that we're in. Um, and it's not something, you know, where we're conspiring to, to get together. It, it's, it's a nice and natural fit where, um, I can provide a bit of space to bring some people together to be able to go out into the community to showcase, uh, what the bike brigade is all about to also be able to talk about Charlie's. And, and to be able to do it on our rides are, are, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun and, and very non pushy way of just being able to show the fact that, uh, there are, uh, legitimate wanted partnerships, uh, throughout, um, the work that we can do and, and that we can do it so much better, uh, with friends. I think that's where your term that you used earlier, like a culture of collaboration can really come in. So what does that look like internally and externally? What what does that mean? Oh, what does that mean? It means, um, it means shedding 
egos. It means opening doors. It means um, saying yes and. And not every idea is going to work. Not every idea is the greatest thing since sliced bread. But saying yes, saying yes and um, really does allow for others to feel comfortable being able to speak and being able to share. Um, and that collaborative piece, um, an idea could come up during a conversation or during a meeting that does not work within the time frame that you're talking about, but it's written down. It's kept as notes six months later. Oh my gosh, we, we, we had this great idea that can, you know, manifest itself into something uh, even better now that, you know, we're at this uh, uh, stage. A lot of it is is really being kind to one another on that level of, I want to hear from you. I want to hear your ideas and I want to give uh, the the space to be able to, to have those conversations and have them openly. Um, and, you know, it, it may not always be a a positive sun is shining out there. It's a bleak day outside right now, <laughs> but, uh, uh, there's opportunity in that. And, and really it is, it is finding, just finding the courage to say, yes, I want to hear from you. And yes, I want to share with you. And yes, we should, you know, uh, um, just be able to, to do things together without the fear of, of you getting a leg up or of me being able to hoard what I've got. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's saying, yes, everyone should just go to second city and just, you know, start doing improv together. That, that, that's, that's what we should all do. Find a stage and just do a few improv shows. But yeah, I mean, really, really a lot of it is, is just finding the courage to say, yes, I want to find the courage to say yes to many more people and many more opportunities to really, um, forward the conversation so that we can all uh, benefit uh, on the dividends that are going to be uh, put forward. And I love how you're talking about finding the courage because especially leaders, they might feel very scared to admit like, oh, my idea was not the best. <laughs> you know, The idea that was the best came from a team member and it worked the best and, you know, giving them credit and all these things <laughs> yeah. uh, that any good leader should do or or if I, you know, do something that's below my station, how are how are team members going to interpret that? So there's just a lot of like fear and need to be vulnerable when trying to build these like collaborative spaces. One of my first jobs uh, was uh, I was 14 years old uh, and I was working at McDonald's and my crew trainer at the time was talking about cleaning as you go. And just, it's that thing that you do uh, in your station. You're always cleaning as you go because there's a mess here and there. Uh, and I was, I worked at McDonald's from 14 to 18. So I made it from, you know, working in the drive-through to the front uh, uh, tills up to becoming a swing manager at the time. Even as that swing manager, I was still cleaning as I go. Like there was no job that was below who uh, my status was. I was working as hard as a person on their first day. And as much as clean as you go was just this thing, uh, it was it was understood that it didn't really matter 
where you were in in the organization. This is what you did. This is what you did to help the rest of the team. It wasn't just, you know, you're doing it, you know, just so that you can pat yourself on the back. It's I'm having to clean because my friends and my other coworkers are going to uh, do better in a clean environment. And yeah, I, I, it's, it's another thing that I can, you know, take in my leadership uh, uh, position right now is that um, I'm not above anything. I, I've got this, uh, I've got this amazing mechanic that works with us, Stephanie, uh, in at Charlie's Free Wheel. She's also our educator as well. And I think and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting her on the spot here. Uh, I, but I, like my first couple of weeks there and I'm in, I'm in the workspace and I know she was kind of like, you know, I'm doing this, this thing, Lanrick, do you mind just like sweeping the floor for me? And it was like, Oh my gosh, I got to sweep. <laughs> like it, it, it honestly, it, it made me feel like I was much more part of the organization being able to do physical something that I knew would help because yeah, we had stuff all over the, the, the floor of the workshop and we needed to make sure that it was clean for the next cohorts to come in. And it was like, yes, my, my only thing is I didn't know where the brooms were. And, but you know, like it, 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 it was, it made me feel so uh, good that, that she could come to me and just like, hey, this is, this is part of the overall of what we do in this space. And I want you to be a part of what we do. And it's not a part of my, you know, litany of things that I'm uh, supposed to be in charge of, but I'm sweeping the floor. That's okay. That, and that's just adding uh, to the, the overall success of our organization, uh, doing top tier things, fundraising, meeting people, whatnot, uh, and sweeping the floor. That's okay. Yeah. I think it also really helps understand all the aspects of the operations. So if a staff person comes to you and they're like, hey, I need a vacuum. And if you had never swept, maybe you would have been like, why? That makes no sense. Right, right. Yeah. Right. But it really helps illustrate the day-to-day operations and get in touch with frontline staff and what their role looks like. So I think not being above any role... So for example, like being an ED that doesn't fundraise because fundraising is yucky, right? Like things like that can go, (laughs) can make someone feel so devalued too, can like completely ruin your staff, uh, you know, warmth and culture. So I think it's really important and something that more people should do. No, for sure. For sure. You want, you want that openness of, of being able to say that you're a part of a team, whether that's a team of, you know, two or three, or if that's a team of. 50 plus, I mean, you're, you're there as, as this working group, uh, hopefully with, you know, uh, again, that mindset to help people, uh, that's why you're there. And, and you want to make sure that I think, uh, you want to make sure that, yeah, you're, you're not, you're not in this swivel seat, you know, in the office with the door closed. It's, it's, it's a real open to to what's going on and what uh, what needs to uh, be accomplished for again that success of uh, of the organization. I have loved our conversation today, Landrick. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us and for chatting about you know a culture of collaboration internally and externally, and giving concrete examples of what leaders can do at their organizations and also uh, you know with partners 
to move forward equitable practices. So thank you for joining us. Is there a place where people can find you if they want to hear more? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't want to have to throw social media in into the mix, but I, I spend a lot of time on uh, Twitter. Do not call it X. Uh, you can find me at Lanrick Bennett Jr. Um, at Lanrick Bennett Jr. You can also email me Lanrick Bennett uh, Jr. at gmail.com. Um, I'm at Charlie's Freewheels, and you can get more information about that organization at info at Charlie's Freewheels.ca. Um, yeah, that's that's me in 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 a nutshell. Um, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for the for the time and opportunity to be able to to have this uh, conversation. And I'm looking forward not only to hear mine, but to, to hear uh, uh, conversations from many others. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I'm sure the audience will really love this episode. And speaking of the audience, thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm Maria. And again, if you want to see our lovely faces, we are on YouTube as well. So please go check it out. We'll have all these links in the show notes. Uh, But until then, bye for now. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Small Nonprofit. If you want to continue the conversation, feel free to connect with our guests directly or find me on LinkedIn. Let's keep moving money to mission and prioritizing our well-being. Bye for now.